Hey, let's go, let's go. Here we go, here we go. Vicar, are you here? Hey, Vicar, am I recording? Am I good to go? Mary, that's a nice imitation of the Vicar you did there. Well played. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Here we go. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, since we cannot stand before you with our own works, we beg you to send your Holy Spirit into our hearts that we may be comforted by your mercy and by your help overcome all that torments us by reason of our own sins. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Good to see you. Uh, Betsy, where are you, Betsy? Can't find you. Ah, yeah, that's, that's a thing. That, thanks to you who actually skip Bible study to teach Sunday school. It's always a nice thing. And it's a, you're good role models for the kids. But somebody might have been, said, send money to the Russians. So if you put money in the basket, we will send it to the Russians. I actually got an early morning. I got two emails from the Russians this week. So all is well. But as always, send money. It's good for us. <laughs> it's good for us. It's good for them. Uh, first, a sad thing. Janice Lehman passed away on Friday. So I want to give you that news. If you know Janice from, you know, Ron also and Janice. Um, we don't know the exact details, but I'm thinking that the funeral will probably be on Saturday. The funeral home is Holtgren, so you who know will be able to get the news from there. But uh, of course, send your condolences to Ron and to his children. You know Amy as well and her husband Brian. So if you could do that, uh, that would be very, very nice. Uh, you should say your prayers. We've, it's interesting how over the course of so this morning, thanks, you know, when you're a pastor and, you know, things go like they went in the first service, we're always so grateful for you. Um, the spirit and energy that are there this morning and uh, so many people, it's just very, very nice and your enthusiasm and joyfulness. But I will say uh, we're in a bit of a downtick in terms of St. John by my estimation in terms of kind of our spiritual, we've had a lot of spiritual, just more and more people let me know that they've been troubled or challenged. So Saturday will be our fifth, you know, Saturday in a row having a funeral. Um, you know, it doesn't, it means that, that means there's a kind of a pain extrapolated through the congregation. Um, I've talked to other people who've had struggles with this and that. This is all normal. This is the normal spiritual cycle of life. And, you know, everybody has, and as you get older um, or wiser or both, you can see it coming sometimes. And you can also see it coming in a congregation. But when, like all other things, when you see it coming, pay attention to it. Say your prayers. Don't miss the Eucharist. Go to church. Tell the truth. Be generous. Look out for other people's interests. You know the drill. But when you're challenged a bit, it's very important that you do the same old stuff with regularity. And that, of course, uh, gives Jesus the chance to touch you and to heal you and let you be radiant toward people around you. So just a reminder to say your prayers and go to the Eucharist. Uh, Lent just seems to be coming a little bit early this year. Uh, men's retreat was fabulous. Thanks to you who turned out. Um, you can always tell when you get a great speaker because you get the same number on Saturday that you got on Sunday, and he held the day. So we were very happy to have him. He's kind of a bright young guy, and uh, you'll hear more, more from him as things go on. Um, the speakers are not up to speed. This, not, not the speaker, the speakers in the... <laughs> Sanctuary. So our day for installation and, and such was last Wednesday. So we probably are going to fall down uh, maybe a week or two or three in terms of installation. We're not, you know, we're not a big fish, so John's doing a great job with that. But be patient. You know, by the 1st of March, it should all be well. Then on a personal note, 
<clears throat> I need to borrow a metal detector. <laughs> if I tell you why I need that, you'll know too much about my marriage. <laughs> I need somebody, like on Monday for an hour, I promise to split with you half of any gold coins found. That's all I'm going to say, okay? So if you're such a person, I mean, let's face it, you've got to be a little bit on the edge to, you know, go right to your closet and pull it out. But, I, you know, I'm, I love you anyway, and come to me. Um, and then finally, this bit with, uh, you know, Thomas Merton, as long as Lent has started, you might as well have a monk with you. The real hope then is not something we think we can do, but in God who is making something good out of it in some way we cannot see. If we can do his will, we will be helping in the process, but we will not necessarily know all about it beforehand. Can't see your life in real time, which is, of course, the message of Lent. It'll come at transfiguration. Uh, One of the primary meanings of transfiguration is you can't see your life in real time. Those same guys who are on the mountain, are just a, just a bit later, asleep in Gethsemane and then fleeing the cross. So you just remember when it comes, you keep the disciplines and you let the Lord work out the details, okay? All right, questions about anything? You got anything on your mind you want to know about? Anything? All is well? Okay. Um, you may have noticed over the years I have a propensity to uh, move quickly. I'm going to try to slow myself even if I don't get through this, but I'm very interested in your own prayers, and especially in keeping the discipline. Last week, we started with the notion that Jesus had both a public and a private ministry. And the public ministry you saw today in the gospel, where he's uh, displacing evil in any form. You'll notice what happens at the end of the story. You remember what happens at the very end of the story? I didn't actually preach on it. What was the last bit? What's the last thing that happens in the story? He goes out to... Uh, desolate place. And what happens then? People chase him down, right? And don't give him time for his prayers. They actually say to him, and this is not common in the Gospels, you should stay here with us. Even at Transfiguration, we should build three shacks and stay here forever. Everybody wants to bogart Jesus and have him to himself, right? But no, Jesus says, um, first my prayers and then I've got to move on. So I would suggest to you that you too have both if you will, hear this in the proper way, a public and a private ministry. Your priests, priests live by sacrifice and prayer, but your sacrifice will only stand the test uh, of a very evil world if you say your prayers. That's uh, what you need in order to survive. So please, please um, say them. So often people want to know what they can do. Do the things Jesus has given you to do. Go to the Eucharist and say your prayers. Um, love God and serve your neighbor. It's all, it's all good. All right, I'm about uh, at point number five on this. I did get a question or two by email about the names, and I gave you <coughs> some names in the back. The question, so you can ponder it, the questions went something like this. Is this a secret formula? Or if I don't do it this way, uh, do my prayers still work? I'm going to come to that in a little bit. It's an extraordinarily good question. Now, here's the thing. You know how cold it was? It it was so cold that the markers on that ledge froze solid. And then when Alex touched them this morning, they leaked out all over them. 
this is a reason why everybody needs somebody like Alex, because nobody wants things leaked out all over them. You always want to have somebody. Sorry. So there's no drawing today because the markers, that's, a, that's, ah, that was horrible. I'm really sorry. So I'm just at number five. Um, so let me just ask this to you in general. Are you, are you good at asking for favors? Raise your, raise your hand if you're good at asking for favors because I got some things I need. Are you really? That's interesting. I'm a little bit suspicious of you right away. I mean, I'm, I just, like in Casablanca, you know, I'm, I'm checking for my wallet as you walk by. Yeah, I know. You're, you're the only one that will admit it? Yeah, I think there's somebody else over at the other table. Really? Are you right? That's interesting about that. So you're such a giving person. That's very interesting to me that you're good on the other, other side. I know, but I've seen only the movie. But our visitor from Morocco, right? Is that true here? Yeah, so we have somebody from Casablanca. Sorry, it must have been free association. <laughs> but now I have somebody to visit when I go, right? And you'll keep me safe from somebody like him, right? Yes, okay, thank you very much, yes. He's from Brazil. He can't be trusted. Yes, so. yes, of course. Yes, he'll want to speak Portuguese later, but, you know, just, yes, okay. So, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm not always good at asking at favors because then what will you think of me, of course, right? I mean, everything from I'm needy to I'm selfish and all points in between. And yet with your prayers, what you're asking, actually doing is asking for favors. If you can ask for favors, so actually it is a skill, and if you have it, it's very nice because this is like being a pastor 101. Pay attention, Mason. Uh, one of the ways you make the church sticky is you ask people to use their skills, right? So what happens is people are always, almost always willing to give. I'm talking about in a normal, friendly situation like this. People are always willing to give and be used well. And when we ask them, um, it builds a bond between people. So much, it's so much truer for God than for us, right? If we're excited about something, we talk about it. If we're in need, we ask. If we know we're loved, we're comfortable. All of things happen in a good congregation. These same things happen between you and God, which is a great reason for you to pray. I'm just at number five. If you have faith... You'll pray. But I'm not trying to say, you know, if you can recite the small catechism by heart, then you'll pray. You know, faith is a living and an active thing, says Luther, right? Faith loves, its, loves God and serves the neighbor. If you have faith, you'll openly, confidently ask for favors, for help and advice. In fact, faith and asking go together. And when I don't ask you for things, of course, what I fear is that I'll be rejected. You know, I'll be left alone and unloved worse than I was before. So sometimes it's, um, and you can often have people who won't ask for anything, you know, they're also extraordinarily generous. I can think of, right now, I can think of five people in this room who I recognize who are extraordinarily generous people who have given a lot to me, my family, the church, other people that I know of who never asked for anything. To you, and you know who you are, you should ask for a few things because there are people who would love to help you and serve you, Right? And that builds this relationship, too. It's true for God as well. The converse is true as well. And I've had this a couple of times with people who I deeply respect who said, say to me, I, knew, I had somebody who I held in the highest esteem as a Christian who had a great tragedy in life and said to me, you know, in a very 
unguarded moment. I haven't prayed for 15 years. Now, that's not completely true because that person went to church and you're kind of swept up in the prayers of others, but I actually knew what that person meant. That person couldn't reconcile the difficulty of what had happened with a God who was merciful, loved her, and um, wanted the best, right? So there is this great step of faith when you ask for something, right? And when folks stop praying, it's kind of basic diagnosis that they have uh, lost faith. So it's extraordinarily important. One of the reasons, one of the things that you do this morning when you work through a liturgy, whether you know it or not, is help other people pray. In fact, at a funeral is the greatest example. You know, we, we sing for people who can't sing. We pray for people who can't pray. We believe for people who can't believe. That's how a community works. And with your prayers, whether they're alone or together, you do, in fact, uh, engage the church and make it better. One of the great shifts, this is the last thing under number five, one of the great shifts of what happens with Jesus is that you can stop, uh, not stop, that's the wrong way to say it. In addition to speaking to Jesus, you can go directly to the Father, or you can better to say you go to the Father through him. If you're uh, a Lutheran and you get all, all theology as Christology and Jesus comes front and center, we often leave out the Heavenly Father and also the Holy Spirit in our prayers. But you know from what we read last week when Jesus says, I reveal the Father and you come to the Father through me and when you see me, you see the Father, all those things that we talked about. That gives you all the ability to speak directly to your Heavenly Father, which is quite a remarkable thing, right? This is six. Because Jesus goes to the Father, we can pray in the name of Jesus. So we had that. Uh, we went through the tomb of Lazarus last week where you saw this remarkable thing. So just to kind of, it's, you have it in the text, but just to kind of, so we you know, don't go too far backwards. You, it says, the, the, the story starts by saying, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. It's kind of verse five. And then Jesus comes to the tomb and he weeps. So you see Jesus completely engaged by that love. And he gives, uh, it's very important, he gives his name to Mary and Martha. So he says to them, I am the resurrection and the life. And lo and behold, in just a moment, after he gives them his name, he turns to God and he prays, I know you love me. This is good for them. My brother Lazarus, Lazarus come out. And there's a resurrection, and Lazarus comes back to life. We usually take that as a story, and rightly so, about Jesus' love for us and the hope of eternal life. It's also a story about prayer. It's a story about using the names of Jesus to pray. It's about going to Jesus for what we need. It's about going through Jesus to the Heavenly Father for what we want. And I would suggest to you that you saw that story here this morning. So I'm kind of halfway through number six. You think about the miracles that happen in the church. Occasionally, very rarely, um, as I've been a pastor, I've, I've seen people um, be healed instantaneously. Um, 
honestly, there was somebody in church last night, I need to track them down, who said, all the doctors are wrong and I'm fine and they can't figure it out, but I'm going back for a boatload of tests. Kind of go, how, do, how does that exactly work? But then, of course, in some sense, you know how it works. You've also, I suspect, seen the great miracle of someone who was a hater turn to love. You've seen the miracle of people who are hard-hearted come to faith. These things are not little things. These are things that happen only by the power and love of God. And we should not be dismissive of these things in our own lives. For a person to come to faith is a resurrection. For a person to come to church is a miracle. It is as much a miracle as Lazarus coming out of the tomb. It's as much a miracle as, you know, the paralytic standing up and walking. It's partly because we don't see. It's not because things don't happen. It's because we don't um, care to see. I'm always, you know, the bells. You know, I always think to myself, the bells are a doorbell. Why do we have bells? Ding dong, Jesus is here. Right? That's what the bells are for. It's just like somebody ringing your front doorbell. Ding dong, oh, Jesus is here. Right? If you really believe that the same body and blood that was on the cross just above is now in the chalice, of course, that's why you bring the chalice near, so that you should, what you're supposed to see is that the same blood that's dripping from the nails is now in the chalice. And when the host is raised, you're supposed to see the same. Um, I can remember being with Carol Holter. When, if you have any complaints about the crucifix, about that icon, complain to Carol Holter. I just want to go on record with that, okay? Because I can remember saying to Carol, um, I'm, ho- I'm like holding my hands up like this. Now, just how high should that be, Carol? And if you have, a, if you have complaints, talk to her. Because I believe, is that, I, that's how I remember the story. I don't know if Carol's here, but you remember it the same way? Well, just, uh, you, uh, yeah, here's the thing. We've got to keep time today. We're very focused. Because the point is you're supposed to see that. You're supposed to see that these same things are happening. That's the reason that they're done. They're not just done for nothing, right? So, uh, ding dong, Jesus is, Jesus is here. That's, that's a miracle that you should um, see anyway. And these are, this is the last thing on this page, the greater works done by us. So you remember, you know, if you want to turn back to just one page, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So you're going to do the works that Jesus does, okay? And greater works. Now, this is a bit, uh, you know, this feels like a bit of hyperbole here. You'll do greater things than Jesus does. I mean, look at these two knuckleheads right here. These guys are in seminary. Now, if you had money to bet like leftover money not already bet on the Super Bowl. And you said to yourself, I would like to bet this money on Jesus or I would bet this money. I mean, Jesus has got all his money on you guys. I'm sure he got points and odds. But, uh, you know, greater works than these he'll do because, why? Because I'm going to the Father. This is great stuff, right? Whatever you ask in my name will come to that. This I will do that my, the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'm going to do it. We'll come to that in a moment. Uh, we'll actually come to that right now if you turn the page. 
So what exactly does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? This would be a good day to draw. I bet, are there unfrozen anything over here? No, I'm not, I'm not touching those. I mean, I love you, but I've seen... This how, see what I mean? This is how the devil works. Think of it this way. A name is like a basket, right? A name has content. It has things. So um, a name brings gifts. It fills things up. So you remember in 1 Kings 8 and 9, if you ever go back and read that, uh, 1 Kings 8 and 9, it's the first day the new temple in Jerusalem is open. Solomon has just built the temple, and then he steps back, and he looks at everybody, and he says, how do we know? The remains of the day. The perfect servant knows what his master needs before he needs it. it, is, is, it is it like being this good? Is it really? Is it fun? I mean, you are good, right? So um, there, there they are in the temple. They, get, they built this brand new temple, right? So, you know, think of this as, of course, you'd have gotten tire marks if they worked. But uh, this isn't your fault. This isn't your fault. Because this is, you know, oh, there you go. You're back on board. Okay, so you have this box, right? And then Solomon says, how do we know that the Lord is going to show up? Who's in charge of invitations? Did anybody say? So he looks up and he says, Lord, you're really wonderful, but you're big and strong, and this box is small, and how do we know that you will come to us and fill this space and be our God. And the Lord answers him by saying, oh, no worries. I'll put my name there. The holy covenantal name. You treat this with utter respect. In fact, your King James Version treats it with such respect that it doesn't write it. And it's the same for your Jewish friends. There's a thing. Yeah, well, so, yeah, I'm sorry. Everything fits together. In, I have a single theory of the universe, but never mind. So he says, how do we know that you'll show up? The Lord says, I'll put my name there. And because my name is there, I'm the new owner. I make the rules. I'm in charge. And I will care for you. And then he gives this long list of things that they will forgive and care for and work out if you just come to church, because that's where the name lives. And if you have the name, then you have the Lord. This, of course, is why the first commandment is, I'm God. And the second commandment is, here's my name. So that you can have access to God. This is why the Lord's Prayer starts, Our Father, near us in heaven, your name is a holy thing. God, name, God, name. Of course, you're way ahead of me, but this is why when we baptize people, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then we say a prayer. As this child has now become your child, right? So next time your kids get in trouble, you're free to start your prayer this way. Heavenly Father, your kid just... And if you could only straighten it out at a minimal cost and stress to me. Right? Because, and this is why, of course, Paul says, 
don't you know, 1 Corinthians like 6 or something, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? How did that ever happen? Well, you got baptized. So here you are, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit too. His name fills you, and he gives you his good, good, good gifts, and he straightens everything out for you, right? This is just like one, this is like just one name, the holy name, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of that is bundled up in the name. I, this is a great, so if you pray, oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when you, and I'm just, I'm being dead serious now. When your kids are off the rails, what prayer do you use? Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, Lord, oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Oh, you, Holy Trinity, who baptized this child. You want to pray for your kids because they're nuts? Present company accepted. Uh, you should pray in the name into which they were baptized. And, of course, then this morning I gave you, um, can I just borrow this? Abby just yours. I, didn't, I forgot to pick one up. I gave you all these names and, and titles. I mean, this is 100, but it's, this is not exhaustive, right? But if you need a particular thing, you pray it out of the name. So if you need healing, you pray, oh, great physician. If you need forgiveness, you pray, oh, Jesus. Call his name Jesus. He'll save them from their sins. If you need uh, confidence that God will keep his promises to you, you pray, oh, Christ or oh, Messiah, because that's the ultimate promise that Jesus kept, right? If your world is out of control, you pray, pray, O Lord, or O God Almighty. Lord, this would be with small, Lord and Master, L, small O-R-D, not Lord Yahweh. Up and down mean different things. But one of the rich ways that you can embrace your prayer life is to learn what the names of Jesus mean and take them seriously. It also acts as a governor on your prayers because you can't be praying for anything out here like the destruction of your enemies. Or that we in America would work up a good hate for other people. These things are impossible for Christians. There is no name by which we live, right? So, or revenge. That's not your business, right? Or the blessing of a sin. Nope. You can have, says Jesus, whatever inside the name. It's all yours. And you should, and all I can say to you is if you only ever, I don't want to mark over this, so I'll pick something else. If you only ever use this much of a particular name, that's, that's on you. Because God has given you this gift like so many other gifts, and what he hopes that you'll do is use the whole blasted thing again and again and again, and then find the next one and use that one too. So when our prayers go cold, or when they seem impotent, or when they seem ineffective, right? Is it on the Lord who doesn't answer my prayers, or is it on me? The Pope, the Pope, I'll follow him on Insta. Prayer changes things. It changes things inside you, or it changes things outside you, but it changes things. How hard is this, right? And you can predict the change. You, in fact, know the answers to your prayers before you pray them. So if you have a child and you've baptized your child, and you remember in the early church, they, some fathers and mothers, uh, church fathers and church mothers said, bring them on the eighth day. But, we, every, but I think it was Cyril or Hippolytus said, but Hippolyt, I'll, I'll blame it on him. Hippolytus said, that's too long. Right? 
So it grieves us. Now take this. I don't, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but it grieves us when somebody delays a baptism because we're just nervous. Because once your kid gets baptized, you have a whole new arsenal of things. I mean, I know there are other ways to talk and the covenant and God loves us and families and communities and how it works. Okay, 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 okay. But none of you, none of you live your lives at the bare minimum. Not one of you. You all live your lives toward the maximum possibility. Please, please, the same thing with your prayers. And the way that you do that is by understanding the name of God. There's a long tradition in the church. The holy names of God, right? There's a long tradition of this in the church. Um, when I taught Christology at the seminary, I taught it from the names of Jesus. One name after another. Do, 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 do. Because then you get the whole, uh, the whole bit. Look kind of halfway through here. To have the names of Jesus is to have access all he says and does. Verse number seven. In that day, in that day, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. So two bits. Access to me. I'm sorry. Access to the Father through my name or through me. You, you, if you have the name, you have the person. You got the name of Jesus. You got Jesus. You got the name of the Father. You got the Father. This is how it works, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Why? Because all these things have already been purified. They've already been certified as for your good. Right? They're already organic and non-GMO. These things are perfect for you, just seeing if you're paying attention. So, you know, these things are already, you know, there's this big bucket full of stuff waiting for you. Uh, you know, you remember I talked about, you know, the ceiling, when it, and you just, just poke it and pull, you know, three stooges, by the way. This is how much people love your vicar. I said to the vicar the other day, I think I told you this, you know, the vicar hasn't seen, I said something about da-da-da, you know, like the Three Stooges. The vicar looks at me like, er? <laughs> so I just want you to know that Joe Nesbitt, Christian that he is, brought the vicar a couple of full-length videos on the Three Stooges. <laughs> That's right. If you see the vicar with a blowtorch and a vice and a big old hammer... Keep walking. <laughs> Part of his education. Okay, so whatever you ask in my name, I'll, I'm going to give that to you. And until now, hey, you haven't used my name. Until now? But now, get ready. And then, right, ask, and then you'll receive. And then look at this. So that you're important, so that you're powerful, so that it's easy. No, so that your joy may be full, which means that your life on earth matches the divine life in heaven. Holiness, sorry, glory is the holiness that descends to heaven, from heaven to earth. Glory technically is the holiness of heaven when it comes to earth. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. The angels sing on Christmas, right? Glory to God. Why? What's in heaven is coming to earth. So glory is when the holiness of heaven comes to earth. Joy is when that holiness spreads among us and is returned as praise to God. That's real joy. This is why martyrs can go to their death with joy, right? Now, this, uh, just so you're not confused, um, this day and that day, in that day and in this day, um, this day is Jesus' time on earth, right? But that day is the time that you live in. So these promises are for you. You live into that day. In that day, hey, you don't need to ask me. I'm going to let you go right to the Father. Try to think back way to the beginning. 
You're part of the family. You brought the royal court. You're more than just a servant. You're an advisor. God listens to you. You can bring your problems. He takes your problems as his own. You remember all that stuff we did in the first couple weeks? That's this. God loves you. God listens to you. God counts you as family. God would never hurt you. God would never leave you. God only works for your good. And then, of course, um, what happens when we die is that this is solidified for eternity as uh, joy. So once Jesus dies and rises, there's a new way of praying. Instead of asking Jesus for things, you are free to go directly to your Father. And then kind of the reminder, Jesus is at the right hand of God and he prays for you all day. We look through that in Romans. What does Jesus do all day? He prays for you. Romans 6, Romans 8, sorry. What does the Holy Spirit do all day for you? He prays for you, Romans 8. Sighs too deep for words. And then I turn the page even more so because we've been joined to Jesus by baptism and Eucharist. That great Luther quote about how with the, with the Eucharist we are cemented to Christ. We are cemented to Christ. So, and I think you have a hard time um, thinking about this for yourselves and maybe you have a hard time thinking about this for other people especially you have a hard time thinking about this for Christians maybe that you don't like or that are different than you are. Maybe when your kids are driving you crazy, you can't think about this. But you should know that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. It's one of the most important things about you. And when you say your prayers, God the Father hears Jesus. Um, Kleinig once said, I put the quote in here, but I I'm not sure if I gave him attribution, but I will. Now, Kleinig once says, you know, Jesus is like, this is like a spell checker on your prayers. The stuff you say, right? The stuff you pray for. And Jesus is sort of like, hey, let me clean that up for you, and I'll take it home, all right? So Jesus is kind of a spell. This is why you have this great freedom in your prayers. It's so interesting, you know? The only problem with our praying is that we don't do it. You know, the only bad prayer is a prayer that's not said. We are so goofy. The Lord gives us all this stuff and shows us the way out, tries to stick with us and console us. I mean, he's like Kirby when she used to work on the runway at the St. Louis airport with those big flares. Did you know this about Kirby? Have her tell you about the Great Danes in the cages when she turned them upside down because she took the corner too sharp. But we don't have time for that right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, never mind. That's a, that's a whole different story. But see, that's you're kind of like that, right? It's like, do this way. Pay attention. But no, we can't. Yeah, hey. You all got all you need if you would just have some fun with it. Luther at the bottom. If we have this mediator in our hearts and believe that he came from the Father and that he carried out the Father's command to take away sin and death from us, then we ourselves are able to pray. And, of course, that's what people forget who are struggling with prayer. They actually forget who they are. They forget they're a child of God. Just can't believe it given the circumstances. And I don't need to describe it for you. You all, I mean, you just, you don't have to go farther than your own family or next door, Right? That's why people can't pray. They can't remember that the Father has taken away their sin and death. I believe this, so I'm justifying saying, I know that my Heavenly Father is heartily glad to hear my prayers inasmuch as I have Christ the Savior in my heart. 
Christ prayed for me. And for this reason, look, there it is. My prayers are acceptable through his. I pray, and the Father hears Jesus. You pray, the Father hears Jesus. Accordingly, we must weave our praying into his. Isn't that great? All things work together for the good of those who love God. All things are woven together for the good of those who love God. Somerset Maugham of Human Bondage, the big tapestry. No? Okay, so move on. For he is forever the mediator for all men. Through him we come to God. In him we must incorporate and envelop, right? So your prayers get sent in an envelope that looks like Jesus. The Father opens it up and is like, ah, Jesus is here again. Jesus wrote me. Then it turns out to be you, but he doesn't say it's you. He says, oh, and he's got friends. This is great. He went away to college. He made friends. It's beautiful, right? <laughs> we incorporate and envelop our prayers and all we do, right? But all this is said to Christians for the purpose of giving them the boldness and the confidence to rely on this man and to pray with him and to pray with complete assurance. For we hear that in this way, here you go, he unites himself with us. When the Lord looks at you, he sees Jesus. What, what, what God does to you, he, what God does to Jesus, he does to you. What he does to you, he does to Jesus. This is why at the end you can say, for you who had the Eucharist this morning, Jesus is in you, you carry him around in your body, and Jesus is indestructible. So you are indestructible. So in a way, you know, we should say of five funerals in a row, all right. Jesus is indestructible, and those people are indestructible. What is done to Jesus is done to you. What's done to you is done to Jesus. You are same, same, right? He unites us with himself, really puts us on a par with him, and merges our praying into his and his into ours. See, what greater honor could be paid us than, than this, that our faith in Christ entitles us to be called brothers and co-heirs, that our prayer is to be like his, that there is really no difference except that in our prayers must originate in him and spoken in his name, if they are to be acceptable, and if he is to bestow this inheritance and glory on us. Aside from this, he makes us equal to himself in all things. This is crazy talk. He is out of his mind when he's saying this. His and our prayers must be one, just as our body and our members are one. I'm going I'm, I'm to just turn you to the end, because I mean, you can't even believe this, um, where Luther goes at the end. Let me, let me find where I, what I want to give you. Go to the um, second last page, okay? So just above 12. Nobody talks like this, right? So do you see the big Luther quote there? I just want to give you this to chew on for a while. Go down one, two, three, four paragraphs, okay? The result of this, of being reconciled and being in prayer, is to have all they need for themselves. Then, when they have this, Look at this. They will become gods and saviors of the world by their prayer. This is Luther talking about you. Luther talks about you as a god and a savior. Man, if I'm sitting in a bar next to Luther, he talks like this, I move two seats down waiting for lightning to strike. <laughs> Who talks like this? But this is the sort of confidence you can have if you really, really believe that you are joined to Jesus and that you and Jesus are one. 
when you really, really believe that the Father sees you and sees Jesus, sees Jesus and sees you, when you are in his shoes, when you are cemented to him, when you really carry his name on your forehead. Last chapter of the whole Bible, four verses in, Revelation 21 or 22, however many is in Revelation, 21.4. Who are these people? These are they who have the name of Jesus on their forehead. These are the baptized. Who are these people? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, washed white in the blood of the Lamb, right? Who are these people? These are the people who, as Paul says, bear the wounds of Christ in their body. These are people who are indestructible. The most important thing, and perhaps the hardest thing for you, is to be merciful in your indestructibleness. Jesus is indestructible, but does not work by power. You are indestructible, but you do not work by power. Remember way back the very first thing? This is the very first thing we talked about. That Jesus wants to work with all of you, but we are diabolical. And we go wrong so easily. So how can Jesus work with all of you? How can Jesus have you do his work without having you go off the rails and use it for evil? How can the power of God be used through you for good? The answer is prayer. Because prayer in the name of Jesus has natural boundaries. And no evil can be done in the name of Jesus. The evil that you do, you do on your own. No evil can be done by you in the name of Jesus. These things are impossible. In Jesus, in Jesus' name, before the Heavenly Father, by the Holy Spirit, all that you do is holy, which is to say, all that you do is forgiven, which means even your best works need to be forgiven, which means we're not our own, we're bought with a price, right? Glorify God in your bodies. And that's what happens when you say your prayers. All right. I'm going to stop there because there's more, more than I can do. Questions about any of that? So how do I keep my prayer for healing yeah. for someone uh, and not go to the closet and get my wizard hat out and say, Abracadabra, in Jesus' name... Yeah, I would invite that nice Japanese woman over to go through your closet. <laughs> and, and I'd lose the wizard hat, of course. Because, of course, the wizard hat, of course, the wizard hat, the reason you don't use that is because that's your will, right? And what you're trying to do, what you're asking for is you're asking for Jesus. You don't have any puff. Yes, right. So you're exactly right. You don't do that. You, um, you know what's best for people, or you think you know what's best for people, or you've given it your best try. You've had children. You know what's best for them, right? Yes, right. Uh, <laughs> now, if you can get the Lord to agree with you, you can have all of that, right? And that's the same for him. Here's the thing, and this is a push, you know, and it's hard to say this when people are suffering. We've had kind of a tough run of deaths, but my ultimate healing uh, is when I die, right? And so my ultimate healing is, uh, is when I die. Because what happens when I die, right? I become the me I was always meant to be, right? With saints and angels before the face of God in perfection. I mean, this is really kind of hard to imagine. We don't, we don't go easily to this, but that's because sin is painful and we've made such a hash of things. And, 
And part of it is because we've had it so good in some ways, right? And we can't sort of believe the next thing will be better. Okay, there might have been troubles, but, right? The fear of that. But, you know, it's all, it's all going to be fine. She said the um, interest, most interesting thing to me that I think came from Pastor Bukes, or the vicar. Came from Pastor Bukes? We were t you came to me after a week or two ago. This, can you, will you just say that? Will you just say what it was? Uh, you. Vicar was talking about the Lord's Prayer, and he said that, uh, uh, that Jesus and well, that, that the Holy Trinity is already talking about me and my issue. <laughs> and uh, he, they just invite me to join the conversation. Right. So when you say your prayers, you know, it's like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit turn to you and say, we were just talking about yeah. you. That pleasant? The vicar. Just a little bit. Of, I mean, just a little bit of three stooges. Think how good he can be. All right. Anything else? I just need that practical experience. So how to use a pipe wrench? It's easy, right? No worries. Anything else? All right. I'm gonna. Ah, yes. Dell gets priority because Dell only visits one. Dell was here ten years ago, and then he went on to great things. But occasionally he comes to bless us. Question. So what's difficult for me if I go back to, aside from this, he makes us equal, yeah. is the law gospel aspect of our theology. Yeah, right, good. It's law, and I just don't feel worthy, right? Yeah, man, that's your problem, okay? Okay. No, of course, you're a great Lutheran. Way to go, right? You can't, it's, it's like what they said about the resurrection, Del. You remember? They, it was too good to be true. They couldn't believe, it was be, they were beyond astonished, right? It was, they disbelieved for joy is how it translates, right? That's what I'm going to ask of you. That's what Jesus says to you, that you could disbelieve for joy. That all you know about yourself that would come under the law, you shouldn't pay attention to that, right? It's that one of my favorite margin comments we ever run is, oh man, the one about the sick guy, he's scared to go, he's dying, you know. He finally dies when he goes to heaven. He kind of comes with fear and trepidation up to Jesus. And Jesus looks up. He says, Jesus gets this big bowl of sweet-smelling oil. And Jesus comes near and washes him up and then says to him, go over there and play. Like, that's, that's the perfect funeral sermon, right? And that's the perfect sermon for you in advance of your funeral, right? Jesus doesn't see you under the law. I'm sorry, the Father doesn't see you under the law. The Father sees Jesus. The Father doesn't see law with you. He sees only the gospel, right? I mean, if you want to muck around out here, um, be my guest. They will probably come get you. But it's not good for you. And, you know, do you presume upon the righteousness of Christ? Romans 2 or 3 right there. Really quickly, Mrs. Marty. Did you have a question? Oh, Karen. Well, of course, Karen does. She's like, she's like um, the geyser at Yellowstone. Occasionally, on, it just needs to... Right? Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you used to wait till next week. We were going to blow on time. And I wanted to take you back to the comments you made about baptism. Yes. And how it grieves you when people don't bring their children quickly. Yes. If I remember my baptism days correctly. Yeah, you do probably. Um, Luther says that in the case of an emergency, anyone can baptize. Right. My sister routinely used her glass of water in her hospital room and baptized. 
trying to start a fight here, Karen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, well, I guess apparently she had an emergency every time she gave birth. <laughs> ah, now the story thickens. Okay, yes, good. Right. Is that unorthodox? Is it? Oh, Karen, far be it for me to say anything about your sister, except how much I love her, and isn't it great that she loved her kids in this way, right? And um, these are, you know, you sort of, hard cases make bad law. So the normal thing is bring your kid to church. So Martin Luther is St. Martin because he was born on a Thursday, and it was St. Martin of Tours Day, and... Um, the, even at the men's church, you remember he said that the guy that he was writing about had 13 kids and five of them died in infancy. Mortality was so high. Um, so there's sort of a stream in there, but there's probably more to talk about. But I think what we should do is all bless uh, your sister, and you too, Karen, because uh, even if I haven't given you a kiss on the cheek lately, I just want you to know I still love you, okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. All right, love you. See you soon.